I am Sergio Brodsky, and I'm a brand and foresight strategist. And I'm Jazz Giuliani, the editor of Marketing Mag. Welcome to Futurecast, the podcast where we talk with professional futurists, renowned academics, and high-profile business leaders from around the world. In this series, we think about the future so that we can meaningfully change the present. The time is now. Join us for better futures. Welcome back to Futurecast, and hello, Sergio. Hello, Jazz. How are you? Really well. So you came to me with this vision to create a multimodal series called Futurecast, and you wanted to collaborate with some of the most renowned and esteemed guests. I mean, some seriously big names. And you wanted to disseminate the value of foresight in marketing and more broadly, business and society. So first of all, can you share how this idea came to you and why you are passionate about bringing foresight into the marketing and business world? Sure, I would love to share that, Jess. Uh, I think that one, one problem that we have as marketers and in the business community and more broadly in society is the whole idea of uh, short-termism <laughs> and how it's been impacting business and, and the many things that we are producing to create value. Uh, you know, some, some of the, the consequences of that are the externalities being produced by business. And if, even the name externality is something to say that it is, it, it is external to, to our business. We don't really care about it. However, this is what's creating, you know, all of the issues around microplastic pollution and plastic pollution itself. Uh, this, uh, this scarcity of natural resources that becomes... Uh, an impediment for our economy to grow and evolve as well. But even this this very addiction to consumerism that we've that we have, and people are becoming what they buy. I am the brand that I buy. I am the product that I buy. I consume, therefore I am. Which is, uh, I mean, I don't think is the healthiest way to uh, grow as as an industry, as a discipline, and even as a society. What foresight brings is this diametrically opposed view of don't just worry about what's happening right here, right now. Do that, but with a view towards the future. And it's not about you know looking at a crystal ball and uh, trying to guess or predict what may happen in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. It's about developing a vision of what you want the future to be and start changing the present reality based on that. I think that this is something that we need a lot in marketing. And this was why I decided to come to you with this idea. Mm, I'm so glad you did as well, because it's these are things that people are beginning to think about more, particularly in the current world situation. But it's I hadn't really heard it phrased and I guess articulated in the way that you have with this idea and I think that it could be really valuable to a lot of people out there in our industry. Let's hope it is. Let's hope it is. Now you've worked with Marketing Mag for some time as a writer and you're well known in the industry as a consultant and a speaker and a brand and foresight strategist across so many sectors. You've worked in just about all of them. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the marketing world and what first drew you to marketing? Sure. Uh, I am definitely not the classically trained marketer. I, my, my path is very unusual. I actually started my career as a lawyer. I specialized in intellectual property. And that was back in Brazil where this funny accent comes from. And uh, back when I was at uni, I had to write a dissertation, my, my final paper, and I decided to write about hackers and how hackers were dis- disrupting IP law. 
that was just when Napster was created. And at that time, at that very point in time, Metallica was suing Napster. Metallica was the first band, the first artist to actually realize that their IP were being violated because of this new technology. But at the same, you know, in the, in the, on, the, on, the, on the same wavelength, uh, uh, there was a big discussion, a big debate about access to information, access to culture and access to knowledge. And uh, the processes happening behind the screen are, is, is one that involves a copy. You need to first copy the information to then give access to people on that information. And that was a big problem at the time. And I felt like it's, a, it's something that is interesting enough for me to apply myself and do some research. And as it turned out, uh, it, I wrote that paper. I got a 100% mark that opened many doors for me. And the one that I pursued was to go and study cognitive science because I really wanted to understand the mindset of hackers and how to reinterpret that in the context of the courtroom. That, 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 that's basically what my paper was about. Uh, and because of that, I had to go quite deep into things such as philosophy of mind, philosophy of language, cognitive psychology. And it's, it's an area that I, I was always very fascinated about. And when the opportunity to do this, this multidisciplinary master's degree focusing on cognitive science, I jumped on, on it. And that took me from Brazil to Israel. And I remember very vividly when I had uh, uh, one of the magnet master classes with uh, Daniel Kahneman, who is from the University of Jerusalem. And uh, that was just a few years after he had just won the Nobel Prize uh, by having created this new field of behavioral economics. Uh, from, from there, I, well, I'm, actually, I never finished my degree. I only spent four or five months at the, at the university because I was offered a job uh, in a drone manufacturing company, so a high-tech military company, something completely unrelated to what, what I was doing before, but that company had just engaged with the Angolan government. And in Angola, as you may know, they speak Portuguese. So they needed someone who could speak Portuguese, English, a little bit of Hebrew, and had a background in IP as I was possibly the only person in the area with, with that mix, uh, yeah. they, came, they came running after me. They offered me a lot of money and I decided to defer that degree. And uh, as it turned out, I lived the following two years, seven levels underground. I was literally working as a worm in this uh, high security military uh, compound of uh, five buildings, but five inverted buildings. I was on level five, level five underground, so seven levels uh, the, uh, underground. which And that was a really, really interesting period. And like it or not, every single innovation that we have, they do come from the battlefield, uh, from the wristwatch to the, to the bullpen, to the GPS, uh, and, and you know, every single technology that we have. Most of them will come from, from this space. And that gives you a lot of insight about how new technologies are developed, but also commercialized. Uh, that was something that I was very fascinated about uh, and have always been, you know, trying to learn more from it. But then my life changed again. When I was living in Israel, I met my wife. We got married. She, was, she wasn't doing what I was doing. She was doing something completely different. But her family was living in Australia and her parents convinced us to move here. I didn't want to land on a parachute. I was looking for uh, work. And mm -hmm. I found this very interesting opportunity with a Spotlight Retail Group uh, on a business business improvement capacity, 
where I would come to Australia, learn everything about their business, uh, bottom up, top down, sideways. And uh, by the end of a, a period of three years, take the business overseas. They wanted to expand the business in uh, somewhere in Europe. Uh, uh, but that never happened because when we were ready to do it, the global financial crisis hit Australia. So all of the expansion plans were put on hold. However, what happened at that same point in time was that the business had to refresh its brand. And I was actively uh, part of that. And uh, for me, that was a pivoting, pivoting moment in my life because I, I definitely fell in love with this whole brand universe, the whole combination of strategic thinking, all of the commercial aspects of that, communications, change management, uh, uh, product management, and so on and forth. I felt that that was a very compelling mix of disciplines and practices that could uh, keep me engaged. And uh, as it, again, as it turned out, life changed once again. Uh, my, my, I didn't lose my job with Spotlight, but it was substantially changed because, you know, mm -hmm. what, what I signed for was no longer relevant. The company wasn't going to expand anymore. So my focus was a different one. I got quite bored with that, but I had that love, that passion for, for brand burning inside me. So I decided that the best way to keep moving forward was to build a bridge by doing this MBA uh, and I, I went to England to do that. So I, I did an MBA and I focused on uh, brand strategy and innovation. Uh, as soon as I finished the MBA, I got a job with uh, WPP. I was the worldwide strategist and knowledge development consultant for Brand Union, which is now called uh, Super Union. And that is possibly the, the, the flagship brand consultancy from WPP. I, uh, I spent a couple of years there learning everything that I could about building brands and brand mechanics. And once I felt comfortable enough, I then moved to the global business unit of Procter & Gamble uh, as, a, as a media strategist. And I was basically planning global strategies uh, across two, ca two categories at PNG. And uh, I would tell my wife that I was living inside Planet Woman because I was looking after <laughs> feminine care and beauty. So my mm. brands were always a max factor. And our, our conversations during dinner were always about mascaras, tampons, panty liners, <laughs> and everything else you can imagine. So yeah. that was a really fascinating period as well. I learned so much. And because of this mixed experience between brand building and media planning, I was then approached by a headhunter that brought us back to Australia with an opportunity with uh, the Omnicom group. And now it's been about six years since I came back to Melbourne, where, where I lived the first time as well. And about four years ago, I, I, I felt like in my, in my strategy utility belt, one thing was missing and that one thing was foresight. And I, I wanted to learn from direct from the source. I wanted to learn directly from the best. And that's how I found out about Professor Soheyo Inayatullah, who is the inaugural chair mm -hmm. of future studies at, at UNESCO. And uh, he was giving this course. And I said, well, why not? Uh, hopefully he will accept me. So I applied. I was accepted. Uh, I took his course and uh, I was uh, pestering him a lot with questions. <laughs> I, I was really, I was really eager to learn as much as I could because I think this is not only a fascinating discipline but one that is inc incredibly relevant, especially in this very volatile moment that we're living, 
where people don't really know what to make of the future. And uh, uh, through foresight, strategic foresight, you learn about the frameworks that will help you think in such a way that you're not that, that it's not about predicting what will happen because predictions never really work, but it's about designing those trajectories that that will get you to the point that you want to be at. Ooh, that's the story. Oh my goodness. So I, I I knew that you had a diverse range of experiences, but I didn't know you had done quite so much. And and wow, what a background. I mean, first <laughs> of all, you really took me back there with that Napstar, that Napstar memory because um, believe it or not, I was actually into heavy metal when I was in high school. So I remember that Metallica scandal quite well. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and then also, you know, I can really see that cognitive science background with your style of work as well mm. and in your the way that you approach marketing. You are possibly one of the only trained brand futurists in Australia, right? So you worked with Professor Sahail, as you described. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what a brand futurist actually does. <laughs> right. Uh, I think that to, to, to begin with, I think that there are many interchangeable skills between what a brand strategist does and what you know a, a, a practitioner of strategic foresight also does. Uh, when, when you're building a brand, Really, what you're trying to do is create an expectation in market. You have a promise and hopefully that promise will be delivered and people will feel that, yes, the expectation that you created is matching uh, what, I'm, what I'm receiving and great, here is a very good brand experience. When it comes to foresight, you're not really building a brand, but you're projecting different scenarios. Uh, but still, you know, there is a promise there. And uh, on our first article and the first podcast, we talked about those four different scenarios and the things that we can expect that uh, uh, will happen from those scenarios, the implications, the opportunities, the gaps, the things that we can anticipate. So there are many interchangeable skills that can be mm. easily transferred between one discipline and the other. When I do my work with brand and brand strategy, I don't I don't make those foresight frameworks very visible. I basically bake them in the process. And uh, this is how I, I, I usually tend to push brands a bit further from where they are. Uh, I recently worked with a fashion brand uh, on, a, on a big repositioning piece with them. And uh, the question that I asked them was, you know, forget about for, forget about the product that you do. Tell me about what your brand would be as a hotel. Tell me what your mm-hmm. brand would be as an airline. Tell me about what your brand would be if it was uh, a, a, a fragrance, for example. And this is this is something that helps helps stretch stretch people's thinking beyond, you know, the tangible product that they are selling with a label or some story on top of that. Uh, but then when, when we look at the foresight space and the work that I've been doing with Professor Soheo, it's it, up until now has been about moderating some different groups uh, from multilateral organizations such as the UN. Uh, and uh, about two weeks ago, we ran a, a workshop with the UN ESCAP, which is the Economic and Social Commission for the Asia Pacific, with about 55 uh, um, member nation nations in in the in the in the virtual room because it was a zoom workshop mm-hmm. but basically each of those uh, uh, people representing 55 different nation states that are that are members of the un they were discussing about the f- the, the future scenarios for asia in 2050 uh, of course everyone wants a greener uh, more equitable and uh, uh, more peaceful uh, uh, society 
but mm-hmm. what 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 are the roadblocks that we have to getting there and if we if, and if we really want to get there how do we need to prepare what are the things that we can anticipate so many different scenarios were were created and we were then probing all of those people in terms of what are the policies that have to be created to support the vision i think that this all of this foresight is so very relevant i think it ties beautifully into your other passion of, of branding and marketing. Mm. And, you know, you touched on a Zoom workshop. So obviously right now COVID-19 has fundamentally changed our industry and every industry in a variety of ways, you know, from recessions and changing consumer behaviour and the fundamental changes in the way that we just work and experience the world. What role do you think that foresight can play in a post-COVID-19 world? Hmm. Uh, I think foresight is playing a role right now. Uh, I think that the scenarios that Professor Soheyo has already created, they are already helping inform a lot of policy, uh, a lot of, you know, investment happening between nations as well. Uh, But also, you know, in in, in, in the industry space, in the private sector, I was uh, today, I just I was on the BBC News and I saw this amazing article called uh, Are We Living at the Hinge of History? And what it says there is that uh, this this period in time that we're living right now, because of COVID as well, is is not is not the best time, is not the worst. But what is really unprecedented about it is the fact that this is the, this is a point in time that could define not only the next decades, but you know the next the next millennia and even beyond. So being in the hinge of history, you know, and the hinge of history is a hypothesis. Uh, but what it proposes is that right here, right now, is the turning point. And if that is the turning point, what are we going to do about it? Do we want to keep going on this downhill with uh, extreme consumption, uh, scarcity mm-hmm. of resources, extreme pollution, uh, 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 social inequalities, refugees, migrations, and things like that? Or do we want to shift the pace of things and get to a better place? Uh, I, I'm very hopeful that the latter is the case. And if it's not, I want to make it the case. That's why we're doing this. And I guess that turning point, as you say, when you touch on things like overconsumption and, you know, the environmental impacts of that overconsumption. And so, there are so many things that are happening in this world politically and socially that were becoming unmanageable as it was. So, you know, hopefully this turning point is could be for a better future. And as you say, hopefully we can create something or work towards that. Yes. So I, speaking of hopes, I guess mm-hmm. to, to sort of bring everything together, what are your hopes for this series and for sharing these insights with the marketing and business sector and beyond? Um, I think for the last 10, 15 years, marketing has been extremely divided uh, philosophically and in, you know, and, and in practice as well. About two, three weeks ago, Mark Ritson came with this idea of bothism. It's not either or, it's both. It's both digital and traditional. It's both media targeting and broadcasting our message. So I feel that as a discipline, we have, or we have now figured a very effective formula for uh, how marketing works and how we can monetize from it as best as we can. And marketing, marketing is a synonym to money, money today and money tomorrow. Money today is, uh, is you know, is what we call, uh, uh, is, you know, in, in the industry, it's sales activations, direct response campaigns. It's when you're marketing just to get your ROI. 
money tomorrow is all about brand building. So we know that the, 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 the stronger your brand is, the easier it becomes to, uh, to drive your sales as well. So when you, when, you, when you bring the short and the long together, or even better, when you do the short through the long, is when you can achieve the most profitable results. And that's and that's and that's really that we know how to, how to make this the, the wheel spin faster. We know how to make the wheel wheel spin better and more effectively as well. But do we do we actually know what the direction is that we want to take this entire industry? It's very efficient. It's very effective. But is it all about money, or is there more in the end? I I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, 100% for, you know, the, the idea of brand purpose. I think there's a lot of merit in that. Uh, I think that there are, there are some uh, uh, issues as well. And of course, you know, uh, when you advocate purpose over profit, it's, it's, it's just a fallacy. It's not something that is feasible because when purpose became, becomes your main goal, of course, profit is going to suffer. But can we have some bothism? between profit and purpose? Can we connect both of these uh, uh, two antagonistic elements and make them become friends? And uh, hopefully, you know, as, as, a, as a sub-product of that, have a better marketing coming out of it. I think that would be, that is, that is, that is certainly a hope that I have, not immediately, but one where the debate at least gets started where those defending purpose are not going to be crucifying those defending profit and vice versa. But we're just trying to have an open, intelligent conversation about some very serious problems and some very big opportunities as well. This is my hope. And I'm really excited to be alongside you on this journey of bringing your vision to life. We are going to speak to some absolutely amazing guests throughout this whole process. So, Thank you, Sergio, for your time. And I can't wait to share the next interview. Thank you so much, yes. And uh, one thing for sure, the future is no longer what it used to be. And let's show everyone that this is the case. Futurecast is the Marketing Mag podcast series brought to you by Content Brains and presented by Marketing Mag. Futurecast is produced by Joanne Davies, head of Content Brains and publisher of Marketing Mag. And Jazz Giuliani, editor of Content Brains and Marketing Mag. Our executive producer is Sergio Brodsky with original music and audio production by Sam Boone. You can tune in to episode one of Futurecast next Thursday, the 15th of October.